now, time for Seafood News. You're listening to the Seafood News Weekly Podcast. I'm Seafood News Managing Editor Amanda Buckle. And I'm Erna Berry Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. This episode of the Seafood News Podcast is brought to you by Watch Us Eat. Watch Us Eat is a fun and educational YouTube series. The brand aims to increase seafood consumption and promote a healthy, sustainable lifestyle by providing engaging content, tasty recipes, and valuable insights into the seafood industry. You can find the Watch Us Eat series on the Seafood News YouTube channel and by following Watch Us Eat underscore seafood on Instagram. Email A. Coughlin, that's A-C-O-G-H-L-A-N at earnerberry.com for partnership information. Joining us on the podcast today is our good friend from Mintech, Senior Seafood Pricing Analyst, Ibi Adonaboye. We had Ibi on the podcast back in February to talk about the Norwegian salmon tax, and now we're happy to have him back to talk about tuna. That's right. Ibi and his colleagues at Mintech, along with Simon Frost, the founder of Frost Procurement Adventure, put together a state of the tuna industry report that dives deep into the cost drivers behind the $40 billion industry. It's an impressive 68-page report. <laughs> we talked to Ibi about yeah. back in Barcelona. This isn't a quick one. <laughs> no, when he told us 68 pages, I'm like, how long have you been working on this? But uh, we're so excited to have Ibi on to talk about it. So welcome, Ibi. Hi, guys. It's good, good to be back. For those that might not be aware, Erner Berry was acquired by Mintech earlier this year. So it's been an exciting time for us meeting new colleagues like you, Ibi and learning about the new business. Erna Berry does, uh, does quote fresh and frozen tuna, but we've never dived into the canned world. So this report is just as eye-opening for us. Um, but the timing is also interesting because, and you know, I'm assuming that was the same for folks in Europe, but canned tuna got such a boost from the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, firstly, um, thanks. I like to say that I've really enjoyed um, getting to know my new colleagues, um, both in mainland Europe and across the pond. It was um, really great to hang out in Barcelona recently at the um, Seafood Expo. And I think it's a very exciting time for us to leverage um, and consolidate our respective strengths in um, seafood price reporting. Oh, 100%. So, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> en- enjoying the seafood in Barcelona was the perfect, <laughs> perfect uh, atmosphere to, to meet new colleagues. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was good. Some good seafood there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, getting to the main point, I guess, yes, both um, the pandemic and the subsequent cost of living crisis has really actually boosted the canned tuna market um, in comparison to a lot of other markets during times of economic uncertainty, which could be characterized by either supply chain disruptions or food shortages. Um, consumers tend to look for products that are A, widely available, B, easy to prepare, ready to eat, so you can just take them as they are, or see shelf-stable products. Now, so those with you know long shelf lives that can keep for extended periods. Um, we saw this with pasta and eggs, where there are a lot of shortages, people hoarding, and it's certainly been evident in um, canned tuna. Now, um, given the growing importance of the product as a consumption staple, we wanted to really shed some light on, firstly, what are the key cost drivers? And secondly, how these costs are evolving, and the implications for buyers at every level of the supply chain. Wow. And like I said, this is a 68-page report, so I'm hoping you can just break down some of the highlights from the State of the Tuna Industry White Paper. Um, do you want to start with just some of the cost drivers impacting canned tuna? Sure, yeah. Like I said, it's very, very long report, so I'll be as brief as <laughs> I mean, everyone should... Yeah, everyone Let's start on page here, one. But... <laughs> I'll try not to go through every single page. No. Um, yeah, so I guess... 
the two key elements um are that that comprise the cost are obviously the 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 can and the tuna so the tuna the raw material and the can now um the raw material the tuna typically accounts for on average about 40 percent of the total cost and within the tuna raw material there are cost variations and this re relates to the tuna species so whether it's skipjack or albacore or yellowfin tuna and the costs here tend to reflect the relative abundance and also seasonality so for instance the raw material prices tend to rise during periods of enforced restrictions um, for commercial tuna vessels so when they have bans on um fad usage which is um which is fish aggregating devices for um the per sainers then you tend to see the prices go up um packaging i.e. the can it normally accounts for around 20 25 percent of the cost um and this is typically steel or aluminium cans we do also see in some regions um jars which are very popular glass jars which um i'll expand a bit later on but we did see some peaks and troughs in steel prices through the pandemic um related to um also we saw um cost impacts related to the war in Ukraine. So, you know, surging energy costs, which are key in steel production. Other than um, those two main costs, we then have also other associated costs, which include labor, um, the carrier liquid. So whether it's um, salt water, whether it's um, fresh spring water, whether it's um, olive oil or sunflower oil. And then we also have um, energy logistics, and as well as the duties for um, exporting into different regions. So these are the key cost drivers um, associated with a can of tuna. It's so crazy because I don't think, um, especially from the Erner Berry side, we're always just focused on just the actual fish. And so hearing about everything that goes into the, so the packaging is things that you don't really think about. Um, the oil, it's very fascinating. And that's the value that, you know, the two companies, well, multiple companies coming together is that, you know, going forward, our customers are going to have that 360 view of the markets going from packaging to raw materials to the end product. So all exciting things coming up uh, for our customers. Um, so the report also looks at retail price trends of Cantuna and Oh my goodness, what a deep dive. Your team looked into the tuna grade, the tuna species, the fish carrier, value-added products, branded versus its own label, can weights, drain weights, sustainability. Honestly, no stone was left unturned. So what do you view as the most surprising takeaway from the retail price trends? I think there's really, I guess, there's really two, I'd say, key um, takeaways, surprising takeaways that I, that I gauge from it. I think, firstly, in, in decades past, tuna was a far more simple, um, commoditized product, which literally just composed of the can, the tuna, and the liquid um, carrier. Now, more recently, brands have taken the initiative to premiumize, um, premiumize their products by adding, um, you know, either albacore or yellowfin products to the range. So these are typically white meat tuna that are seen as um, more quality tunas. Um, they may also switch from chunks to steak or use virgin olive oil instead of, say, sunflower oil or some of the other carrots like brine. Um, no drain has been a very clever move because some consumers do not like products in brine or oil. And furthermore, the no drain products alleviate some of the mess from draining the can and reduce um, the cost logistics by up to 15 to 30%. And this is the logistics associated with moving the product. Obviously, the, the less um, liquid you're moving, then the more the cost efficiencies. 
what else really stood out to me was the cultural factors. Um, I think these are really key factors influencing the price and um, premiumization of canned tuna. So for instance, in Northern Europe, um, countries like I don't know, the Netherlands, Germany and the UK, skipjack is a popular choice and canned tuna tends to be um, branded more as a type of value type offering. Whereas if you go into um, the Mediterranean European region, so for instance, um, Spain, Italy, um, Portugal, where um, you see a lot more of albacore or yellowfin, a lot more of the, the white meat, um, what's typically seen as the white meat tuners, which are branded as white meat. Um, these are the products that are preferred and they are typically premium products, whereas um, opposed to the kind of the value ranges that you'll see or the value products that you'll see in Northern Europe. And um, you'll see in Southern Europe, you'll see a lot more product coming in olive oil as the base. And these products also tend to come in Southern Europe um, much more in glass jars. So you really see the kind of the premiumization there. And they also you get these really um, artisanal looking cans, um, really colorful cans with red, yellows, blues on them that really um kind of project a quality um offering i think and i think that's some of the i guess the key um takeaway that, that i see is that there's a really really um, different market positions of tuna within europe and also within on um, the north america market as well yeah i don't think i've ever seen a glass jar have you seen i was gonna bring that up like was was the glass jar more of the premium product that was showing like the artisanal factor or yeah so yeah. so 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 the glass jars you'll typically will be the albacore so and it'll be the steaks so it'll be kind of very thick um steak chunks cut off the loin and it will be um in a carrier of olive oil so just look just just looking at the the, the jars the product just it just shouts quality yeah. um they're very typically quite expensive, um, right at the upper end of the market. And these would, rather than kind of just sticking it in a, in a tuna sandwich, whereas what, what we do in Northern York, for instance, we just get a can of tuna, um, mix a bit of mayo and stick it in a tuna sandwich. Mm -hmm. These will really be used as a centerpiece for a really um, lovely looking salads where you'd have all the beautiful um, vegetables and you'd have these lovely chunks of, of tuna where you've got the kind of the, the olive oil glistening on them and they just look beautiful you're the spokesperson now for this because i'm like right i'm hungry so we're gonna have you send us some <laughs> but i was gonna say even even no. like the, the colorful packaging on some of the other and and the big thing in us i mean not really for for tuna but is just like the art yeah the artisanal tinned seafood mm -hmm. and they're calling it they you know we talked to another company and they're like we don't want to be called can it's not canned it's tins because you're you're trying to upsell and it's something yeah, it's like a craft. Um, Precisely. And, yeah. And, and and another thing that what you'll see, particularly in the again, this is much more I see in the southern um, European markets where it's a lot more of a premium market. You'll see on the cans, it will it will often have it will often show like a fishing boat. So just have like a one boat or like a. A, a man on a boat or a hook on it to really give that again that artisanal type of um quality that you know it's not just it's not just um fished by the by the by the truckload but you get a real personal feel for it which yeah. I think adds to that quality offering. I'm I'm a sucker for that stuff. I <laughs> It, it works. <laughs> yeah, the, the packaging, the packaging is a hundred percent what sells me on a lot. Yeah. But um, 
Let, let's talk about the, the future of the canning industry. Uh, one of the product forms identified was vegan. And I thought it was interesting because vegan tuna options are something that we cover fairly regularly on, on Seafood News. Um, but I was still blown away with some of the vegan offerings that we saw on the Seafood Expo Global show, uh, show floor in Barcelona. And um, vegan options are, are certainly a trend now, but the report says that it might take several attempts to crack this offering. Uh, can you give any more insight on the on the vegan space? Sure. And um, myself, as someone who has lived or been at least practiced a plant based diet for many years, although I've now been eating a lot more seafood, um, <laughs> I've definitely noticed as you should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching you guys eat seafood as well. So there we go. <laughs> um, so um, definitely see a lot more range. I think Nestle and Prince's have also launched ranges and various other independent brands are also in the space as well. I sampled several vegan um, tuna products at the Seafood Expo in Barcelona. And my overriding impression is that the offerings are definitely improving um, from even where they were one year ago. I would say that the, um, the like Prince, there are products that had, I think they were mainly comprised of kind of grains um, grain-based products, but then they're adding some like seaweed and other um, things to kind of impart that um, seafood or fishy flavor to it. My overriding impression is that the offerings, as I said, are improving, but I would say they're probably where the kind of the vegan meat products were two to three years ago. So what I really um, find is with these markets, they do move very fast and there's so much technology and um, kind of discovery going into these products that they develop very fast if you look at products like beyond meat now um there you now see them in mcdonald's you now see them in starbucks so they've really grown just literally over the last two or three years so i can see the similar potential for plant-based tuna i guess I, the hardest thing or uh, the main caveat for that is that it's very hard i think to replicate that, that flavor whereas with the um with the meat products you're mainly just replicating texture um but with the i think with the the seafood products it's also trying to replicate that flavor and i find that um very tricky so i still feel it's a period of trial and error where manufacturers are still looking to perfect the balance between um kind of the perfect recipe and price and one of the things that does tend to dissuade people from trying a lot of these offerings is the price um people are i guess of the opinion of you know why would i pay more for a vegan tuna or when I can buy like real tuna for around the same price or maybe less. So I think um, incentives need to be um, given in order to in order to kind of bring people into the market. So discounts are being offered. I know Prince's um, in the Netherlands, for instance, have offered um, in the past 50% discounts to get their products into stores. And I think this is the kind of dynamic that we'll see accelerating as more and more products come into the market. Yeah, I think when companies are targeting the um, vegan seafood, it's people who have recently made the switch, who, you know, have eaten right. the, you know, real tuna before and are looking for an alternative. But yeah, we'll we'll definitely be keeping track on the on the growth in that sector. Um, but let's wrap up um, the podcast um, so that our listeners can quickly download that 68 page report and become canned tuna experts themselves. So can you offer just some key takeaways from the report of, um, you know, what you're seeing on the future of the, the canning industry? Um, okay. I think on the, um, 
on the recipe side, I think there will be continued marketing drive by brands to promote the kind of the ready-made meals and the snack formats. Um, these formats may have lower tuna content, but with kind of added volume of say vegetables or other aspects or sources that could be added to them and this could add value for the consumer and also result in a lower recipe cost for the producer i think in terms of can size we're likely to see a growing availability of smaller size cans um i think this will definitely increase as well as easy peel or um easy opening um ring pull lids which are becoming a lot more prevalent, particularly these type of um, foil type lids with the kind of the, the like paper type of, of pull rather than the, the metal um, ring pull. Um, on the packaging side as well, we have, as I said, these pouched rather than metal cans, um, but consumer acceptance has been rather slow so far to date with these pouch cans, um, with these pouch carriers. Um, I mentioned the vegan before, but I think obviously this is a, a product that will um, continue to expand in the years to come. Um, I think finally, there's also, um, I saw this also in, in Barcelona again, is is like a raw pack tuna, which is like uncooked tuna. So it's almost like a ceviche type product, um, equivalent to almost yellowfin strips. And I saw this um, being marketed in olive oil. And at the moment, it's mainly being sold out of Italy. But I, I see this in increasing significantly. Um, there's um, many health, purported health benefits that are associated and the market share of this is also growing globally through small brands as well as through um, local traders as well. So I think that's probably, yeah, that's probably some of the things to, to look out for. That's really cool. I know, I think it's so fascinating and, and I made sure to go into a grocery store when I'm in Barcelona. It is so crazy to see what different offerings are available across the world. and. Um, mm -hmm. That's really cool that, that Italy has something different like that. And, and maybe we'll see that here soon enough. Sure. But um, thank you so much for joining us, Ibby. And where, where can our listeners find Mintech's State of the Tuna Industry White Paper? Okay, so it can be found on the Mintech Analytics platform. Um, so you can go directly onto the platform and, and you can find it there if you go to Tuna and look under the um, under some of the reports. Or alternatively, I will say this, um, the, um, the web address twice just to make sure everyone gets it. So you can go to www.mintechglobal.com forward slash 2023 hyphen tuna hyphen report. So just one more time, www.mintechglobal.com forward slash 2023 hyphen tuna hyphen report. And you can find the whole 68 pages there in all its glory. <laughs> and we shared a link to it on the Ernaberry LinkedIn uh, page as well. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's on the Mintech uh, LinkedIn page as well, yeah. too. And Fantastic. we will have we will provide a link as well um, <laughs> in our in our podcast. So I was just making it be just say a really long URL. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks again. One more thing. Um, <laughs> if anyone has any questions, if you do um, download or, or you read the paper, and you have any questions, then um, again, please feel free to reach out to me at Mintech um, and I'll be happy to answer any questions or queries regarding it. Excellent. Thank you. We can't wait to have you on again. As as usual, you've been a pleasure to speak with. We're just- Lots of information. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. And thanks, thanks a lot, for guys. the Steve Beanie's podcast. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.